Toy Story and Taylor Swift made waves around the NFL last weekend. Plus, we have an interview with the president and chief executive of the Dallas Stars. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. I'm Eric Fisher, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Here with senior writer Mike McCarthy, who's been all over all of the major stories uh, happening across the NFL media landscape so far this season. And we want to start with one of the big ones that happened early on Sunday morning with uh, the first of the international games this season. Uh, we had a special Toy Story presentation for Jaguars Falcons. And this is a continuation of a theme that we've been seeing for a couple of years now. Um, that CBS started and now other networks are getting involved in in terms of having special kid-themed presentations of major sporting events here. Uh, and this one was really interesting. Instead of sort of having a sort of graphical overlay of real live football action, which is what we've had with some of these slime games that CBS has done with their Nickelodeon theming, this was a whole new animation that was essentially being compiled more or less in real time with games with the game that was actually going on. And it was a little bit behind the real play, but from a technical standpoint, I was, you know, regardless of how you feel about toy story or anything, just to be able to sort of pull off this animation in the kind of real time nature that they were, I I was blown away. Uh, So uh, let's start with your takeaways here, Mike. Yeah, Eric, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I thought it was a marvelous job by Disney and ESPN. They really created a world, Andy's Room, where you believe that this game was going on. And uh, and besides the fact that uh, I think young parents and young children loved it, I mean, there's a big business story here too, Eric, which is, as we know, Disney has been the leader in family entertainment for 100 years, and they had to sit back and watch Nickelodeon get all the credit with their slime cast and their SpongeBob SquarePants and all the rest of it, and they were just itching to get into this fight to compete for the younger viewer. And now that they have, and now that they pulled it off so well, I think the possibilities are limitless. I mean, we could see a black, you know, a Black Panther version of an NFL game, an Avengers version of an NFL game, you know, Frozen going up to the Green Bay Packers and the Frozen Tundra. Uh, I really think the sky's the limit right now. Yeah, if you really think about what they've got in their IP portfolio here, Star Wars and Marvel and the Avengers, and you you mentioned uh, Frozen and, and some of the other things in the Pixar library here, there's really just a whole expansive theming here that can go on here. And again, from a technical standpoint, being able to pull off what they did, and we'll see what the final numbers look like, but from a technical standpoint, really, really quite of an achievement. Yeah. And the other thing to uh, remember here, Eric, is the NFL has given all of its TV partners the opportunity to do this. Yep. So I'm looking uh, at NBC Universal, uh, their Mario uh, Brothers movie. They've got their own portfolio of IP, sure. Exactly. Was, as you know, you know, did over a billion dollars in box office. And if there was something that's, you know, perfectly teed up for an NFL kids cast, that would be it. And get, getting new viewers and younger viewers, that's that, that's the big goal. That's the big existential question that everybody in this business has got is how do we get more viewers? How do we create new fans and how do we get younger? And this speaks all directly to that. It's all about that demo. They, you know, The NFL wants it all. If there's one demo that's not watching the NFL, they want to target that demo. And right now that demo is 
young parents and particularly young kids who get their uh, game in through through highlights and clips rather than sitting down and watching a three-hour telecast. Well, let's talk about another young demo here, the uh, the teenage girl demo that's been coming into the NFL in droves here over the last couple of weeks here, thanks to Taylor Swift and this new relationship with Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. Uh, she was all over the airwaves again Sunday night for the uh, Chiefs-Jets primetime broadcast here, and you know we were counting up the number of cutaways and, and so forth. I think 17 was the final number here, and... Um, you know, what was your sense of round two? Did it sort of feel like been there, done that after the Bear game the prior week? Or what was your sense of uh, how it unfolded and how NBC handled it? Well, I think uh, NBC had a lot of fun with it. You know, they had that Carson Daly open, the whole Welcome to New York. They played her songs. As you said, I mean, it was nonstop Taylor Swift, uh, you know, everything from the opening to the shots of her in the, the luxury box uh, to, you know, the, the post game. But, you know, I, I think it was okay. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, football hardcore people who are, you know, on their fainting couch today and, you know what I mean, reaching for their smelling salts. How can they do this to the game? Look, football is entertainment. It's a TV show. 99% of us experience it as a TV show, not as a live event. So I think it was okay. It was fine. Uh, even though I, I think the NFL maybe realized they went a little overboard, they had a little thing on their Instagram thing that said the Swifties or the Chiefs were 2-0 and as Swifties. And I noticed they knocked that off today, you know, because people are starting to say that the, the league is pulling too hard for the Chiefs. So, I mean, look, it's week five. Everybody relax. You know, Taylor Swift brings a new demo into uh, the NFL, and it's all good. Yeah, and, and it, it, these things, of course, go. You know, we've both been around long enough to see these kind of things go in cycles, where there's the initial buildup and buzz, and then there's a backlash, and the water sort of finds its level here. And you know, clearly, you know, Taylor Swift's a big star, but she seems to be just enjoying these games, just like the rest of us are enjoying these games, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, if anybody's the equivalent of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or uh, Beyonce, it's Taylor Swift right now. You know, you know, she's as big to her audience as the NFL is to football fans. So if the NFL can increase uh, its percentage of uh, female viewers, particularly young female viewers, they will take that any day. So let's shift from the pro game to the college game because you're working on a big scoop right now that uh, as the expanded college football playoff is now coming into focus here, you know, moving to 12 teams, you know, the bidding for those expanded media rights is also a big push here. And we got a big network that is uh, making a play for that. Why don't you walk us through what you've uncovered? Yeah, Eric, it's really uh, fascinating. For years, NBC was sort of limited to its Notre Dame deal. Right. Uh, That's all about they did in college football. But NBC has really been making a push into college football. As we know, they got the the Big Ten evening package. And now our great colleague, Amanda Christovich, is reporting that they are one of the companies that has sat down and talked to the college football playoff about their media rights. So here we have the, the Peacock Network coming in and really making its presence felt in college football. If they can get a piece of that playoff, which, as we all know, is now completely with ESPN, that would be big, big news. Yeah, and it's interesting. This is a company and it's sort of in transition right now. You had Pete Bavacqua leave, who used to run NBC Sports, to take the Notre Dame AD job. You've got Rick Cordella coming in, company veteran, very highly thought of. Um, but they've got a lot of assets on their uh, at, uh, at their disposal. They've got a, a Peacock streaming service that already has a really good uh, – 
preponderance of uh, top tier sports content, uh, you know, backed by Comcast, obviously. And, you know, we talk a lot about Disney and some other companies here, but, you know, this is remains a very strong, well-resourced company that would be expected to put in a sizable bid for this property. Yeah, you're spot on, Eric. I mean, you know, NBC is a great story to tell in sports. Um, Sunday Night Football has reigned as the number one show in primetime TV for a ridiculous 12 straight years. That yeah, that blew the, the record from Nash and all in the family seven years ago, blew that away. Uh, as you said, they've got some very talented, young, aggressive people, Bavacqua, Cordella, who are very good and know their way around college football uh, intimately. And here's another big story that uh, isn't getting enough credit, Eric. They're a broadcast network. With uh, all this cord cutting and cord uh, shaving, broadcast networks are becoming more and more important because everybody can get them. A hundred million people can watch the college football playoff on um, NBC. All you got to do is get your rabbit ears and you got the game. Thanks again to senior writer Mike McCarthy for spending that time with us. Eric, thank you. Anytime. The NHL season begins in one week, so to get ready for the new season, Owen Poindexter spoke with Dallas Stars President and Chief Executive Brad Alberts. They discussed the Stars' run to last year's Western Conference Final, growing hockey in the southern United States, and why expansion teams are so successful in the NHL. We'll have all that and more after this. I am joined now by Brad Alberts, Dallas Stars President and CEO. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So just have a very basic question to start off with, which is just what do you do in your role? Well, I oversee, you know, all aspects of our of our business here in Dallas. You know, obviously that's sales and marketing and all of the uh, administration and HR and finance uh, departments as well. And then one of the unique kind of aspects of our our business here and, and our organization is that we run all of youth hockey in Dallas. Oh, and I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, the Cowboys don't run youth football. The Mavericks don't run youth basketball. We run youth hockey here and we have 16 sheets of ice, eight facilities um, that are scattered all around the Metroplex that we, we have all these events in. And so that's a big part of our organization. And, uh, you know, I oversee that. Uh, and then our minor league team is down in the suburbs of Austin in Cedar Park. So we've got our American Hockey League t- down there. So we are Texas hockey and uh, from the NHL, AHL and the youth levels, all all of the above. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. What age does that youth hockey start at? Well, we start out, you know, under five, really in our little rookies. You know, that's really when we want to get, um, you know, kids on the ice to learn how to skate. And we've got a little rookies program that gets them started, you know, right when they're young and then, uh, you know, and gets them into the, into our system. And, you know, we're not, we've now had a number of players come out of our system that are playing in the NHL. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to ask if there's any kind of pipeline there that leads to your team or at least just to the league. Yeah. We, you know, we've got, you know, a small pipeline compared to, you know, other areas, but we start, we're starting to have a pipeline. I mean, uh, Blake Coleman is a is an example of a guy that grew up playing in our in our rink in Plano and is now playing for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Seth Jones started in our program 
moved around, but he started in our program uh, when his dad was with the Mavs and, you know, he's in Chicago now. So those are a couple examples of guys that have come through our, our youth hockey, you know, program here in Dallas that are now playing at the highest level. So the Stars announced last month that you've already sold out your season tickets for the lower bowl and platinum levels for the first time in 20 years. What's driving that growth? Oh, I think certainly our team performance is at the top of that list. I mean, having, you know, the year that we had last year and, you know, and having the good young nucleus of players that we have, uh, we've got a, you know, a really good group of players that I think are going to, are just starting to come into our prime. And and certainly the community here understands that is excited about what we're going to offer here over the next five years. And, uh, you know, and I think our business principles, principles, excuse me, have been sound for years, but those principles now coming together with a really good team on the ice has led to, um, you know, selling out that lower bowl, which has been a goal for us for a decade. Yeah. And that kind of leads into something I wanted to ask you, which is that, you know, Dallas is one of the big success stories when it comes to hockey in the South, but you know, that model hasn't worked every time. Atlanta didn't end up keeping their team. Arizona Coyotes are going through some issues. Uh, Is there a formula to making this work? I think one of the formulas is what I told you before. I think our investment in youth hockey has been a real driver for creating, you know, a hockey audience here in a hockey town. I tell people we're a hockey city and we are. And when you really think about it and you see kind of behind the curtain, all of the youth hockey that's happening here, um, it'll give you a different story than just paying attention to, you know, the NHL team. But I think, I think we made that commitment 20 years ago and, you know, our numbers have never been better. And our biggest problem right now, Owen, is we don't have enough ice, as crazy as that, you know, sounds. But we could build, you know, another two or four sheets of ice in the kind of the northern area here in DFW and it'd be full tomorrow. So we're working on that. But I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, we've got a great, you know, vibrant market here uh, that's growing. Um, and, and we've got a good team. And we've, you know, we've got a beautiful arena um, all a lot of things have come together for us here. Yeah, and speaking of that arena, um, so American Airlines Arena had eighteen point five million dollars in renovations this summer. What goes into the decision around when and how to make that kind of investment? Well, I think owners ownership. You know, Mark Cuban and Tom Gallardi being our, the two owners now of the Mavs and the Stars have have done a great job of reinvesting and making a commitment to keep our arena you know, now is whatever, 22, 23 years old, as up to date as we possibly can. And we're looking to do more of that, to be honest. But yeah, we've made some major upgrades, you know, this summer. And really over the last, you know, five to 10 years, we've made, you know, subtle changes to continue to enhance the fan experience uh, and create new revenue generating opportunities for us to keep pace with, you know, with our competition. And We've got a great building. It's a great, you know, shell, and we need to continue to invest in it. And we feel like it's in a great location here in the city as well. Yeah, I feel like stadium and arena issues have been coming up more and more recently. I mean, I think especially around stadiums with baseball and football, and those seem to have something like a twenty-five to thirty-year shelf life before uh, teams are starting to say, "All right, time for the next one." Um, do you think you can just steadily make these improvements as an alternative to um, to just getting a whole new facility? Yeah, I think we can. I I certainly don't believe that we need a new arena here in Dallas right now. I think we've got an arena that, you know, it's, as I say, it's a 20 year old house that needs a renovated kitchen. 
you know, we need to modernize it a little bit, but I don't believe that we it's necessary to to build a new one. That's my opinion. Others, you know, disagree and have a different feeling. But certainly, you know, I represent our ownership on that as well. We feel like the American Airlines Center is a good building that, you know, with a nice modernization renovation, we can update it, we can freshen it, and we can certainly stay here, you know, for the next 10 to 15 years. And then you can always reevaluate at that point whether or not you need a new building. But right now, that's not the you know the opinion that we share, um, and we're hopeful that we can get that done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are there particular improvements that you see as next on the list? Yeah, I think just uh, fan enhancement opportunities. You know, improving and changing our concessions. You know, our food and beverage oper- You know, offerings for our fans. We've done it subtly over the last twenty years, but for the most part. You know, that part of our business is is what it was, you know, 20 years ago. And I certainly think the way arenas are now, the modern ones have changed that. Our clubs need to be enhanced. Um, our premium, I mean, Dallas is a premium city. And I think we need to add and enhance our premium offerings for our customer bases here. Um, those would be at the top of my list, Owen, as to what we would try to get done. Yeah. Um, jumping topics here. We've seen the baseball world manage a lot of uncertainty around the regional sports networks in real time over this past year. NHL and NBA are kind of next for for that uncertain world. Uh, your RSN is uh, the rights are owned by, by Bally's or by the Bally's branded um, Diamond Sports Networks. Um, what's going to happen there? Yeah, if you know, let me know because I don't know. Uh, we're not sure. I mean, they're obviously going through their well-publicized and documented process of uh, figuring out how they want to revitalize their business and their company through the bankruptcy. I think uh, in the next few weeks, we certainly we have to get an idea. You know, our season, the NBA seasons are going to start here in October. So we've got to get some idea what they're thinking. Uh, but until they really notify us, our league's Nobody really knows what to do. I mean, we've been in discussions, uh, you know, with them. You know, our league has been for for the last several months. So we're we're waiting to see, and depending on what they tell us, we'll read and react. Yeah, I mean, what strikes me about this whole thing again and again is how this stuff um, it's not getting settled on a time frame that would seem to be the one you would want for, um, you know getting a handle on on your media situation you know it's a pretty crucial part of your your business and obviously we you know we saw this with baseball where it would just be like from one game to the next you know first it's a bally's network and now it's it's mlb taking over production um is do you feel like the nhl is prepared for you know the various forking paths that could happen here yeah unfortunately i think we are um I think that we we've had to be so that the worst case scenario we can we can react to anything after that obviously will be easier to deal with. Um, so yeah, we're we're ready. It's it, the one thing that I've learned on you know really this summer. It's a very very complicated problem. I mean, Hollywood's dealing with it in their own way as well. Just the you know streaming has really blown up the business models that you know, we're in place. I mean, that's a simplistic way to look at it. It's more complicated, but that's, I think, really at the top of the list that technology has changed. Consumers, again, have multiple choices and streaming, you know, has changed the model. And so 
we all have to address that. But I think the people that are directly involved in that industry are going through that. And I don't think they exactly know what to do right this second either and how to fix it. So everybody's trying to work through it very carefully. Nobody wants to, you know, exacerbate the problem. So it's, you got to be patient and let, you know, all of us that are, you know, kind of in this, you know, media industry kind of just work through it. And certainly the teams are, we can't solve it. We have to have somebody else kind of dictate the rules and then we can go about what are we going to do. But right now we're a little bit, you know, we kind of have to be patient and wait, I guess. Yeah. And no, there are RSNs that um, that now offer a streaming service. Like you can watch Bruins games and Rangers games that way. Uh, do you see the, the stars maybe going down that route at some point? Yeah, we had it last year. Bally's offered a streaming service for, for stars games. Um, and yeah, there's no question that that is the future and streaming is going to play a role. It's, you know, how big of a role I think is still to be determined. There still is a linear television business that is lucrative. It's just not as what it was before. Um, trying to figure out that sweet spot, I think, is one of the issues that everybody's trying to, you know, thread that needle and figure that out and what exactly that is and where does the you know, the cutting of the cords kind of level off, you know, all those issues are being looked at by, you know, executives in the media world. I mean, the charter ESPN situation, I think, is a microcosm of all this. So, um, yeah, there's a like I said, it, there's a lot going on. It's a very complicated issue. Um, we're poised and ready to deal with it as best we can, I guess, is what I would say. Um, but we have to be patient and wait and see where Diamond, in our case, you know, comes out. We're certainly happy with uh, with them. We hope that they can uh, figure it out. We hope to be on their network, you know, for the foreseeable future. Jumping again here, one thing that's been sort of on my mind in the hockey world, especially uh, over the the past season, is just, oh, you know, Vegas just won a Stanley Cup in there. I think it was their sixth year in the league. The Kraken are already competitive, and it you know feels like they just got here. What does that say about the NHL that teams can get good that quickly? Well, I think some will say that the rules were set up to allow that, you know, and that's probably fair. I think um, nobody wants to see expansion teams, you know, uh, lose, you know, for the foreseeable you know, period of time. I think it's hard on everybody. So giving them a fair chance to attract players that can play right away certainly was, you know, was the intended goal of our league with Vegas and in Seattle's kind of a byproduct of that. So, and then obviously the administrations there have to do, you know, they got to do their homework and they have to get the right players in place. And I think both administrations have done that. Um, and kudos to them. Certainly Vegas, you got to tip their hat. They were, they've had a great, you know, first five, six years of their existence. They obviously have won a championship and won a cup. They beat us. Uh, and they were they were a better team, you know. They beat us in the in the Western Finals. We tipped their ha- our, our hats to them. Um, and Seattle was a formidable opponent for us in the second round as well. So I, those teams aren't going to go away. And for us, if we're going to win a, a championship in the next you know few years, we're probably going to have to go through them. All right, Brad Alberts, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Owen. Appreciate it. That's all for today. Thanks again to Brad Alberts for coming on the show, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll see you tomorrow.